0: you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 1, and to pull out the notes that you received, and, well, they're not really notes, this page that you received when you came in, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. While you're finding Acts chapter 1, I just want to express my... My gratefulness to God for his grace in you. The picture last week that we we finished up reading the Bible through for a year and I've heard so many stories from among you, many of you, many of you reading the Bible through for the first time and seeing God and knowing God through that. And so thank you. Thank you for your zeal for the word and your zeal for the world last year we as a church in our budget set out to give more than we have ever given as a church to needs in Birmingham and around the world and obviously this last year was tough economically and there were points in the year kind of looking at giving where we weren't sure how it was going to all end up in the end all the way up until a couple of weeks ago to see if we were going to be able to give to the budgeted needs we had we were pretty far behind but i want to give god glory for the reality that at the end of this last year you ended up giving about ninety-nine percent of our budgeted needs from last year which is far more a few hundred thousand dollars more than you gave last year total The reality is when you take what you ended up giving budgeted to to, to the offering, the regular budget this last year, global offering, which ended up being more than what you had given last year, and you add in what you have spent, even just through the church. Many of you have gone outside of the church and done a variety of different things, but through the church on short-term missions around the world, the reality is we as a faith family have given over nine and a half million dollars toward the advancement of the gospel. So I praise God for his grace in your... And you're giving I I just I I thank God for the privilege of, of pastoring this people. And thank you for uh, praying for me last week as I was I was in Atlanta uh, speaking one day to a group of about six thousand college students crammed into a, a convention center and then the next day about ten to twelve thousand college students in an arena and preaching the word and, and telling them about God's grace in you as a church. You know, I was, I was praying this morning and, and couldn't help but to think, when I thought of you and was praying for you as a church, I couldn't help but to think of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8, which talks about how the church in Thessalonica, their faith had gone forth everywhere, was encouraging brothers and sisters in all kinds of different contexts. You know, I, I, got, a, I got a note even this morning that was sitting on my desk I want, you, I want you to listen to it. This is a couple who said, Dear David, we want to say thank you to your church. We read the Bible together as a couple. So this is somebody outside, the, outside of the, our faith family. We read the Bible together as a couple, aloud for the first time in 34 years of marriage. This experience has truly blessed our lives in an awesome way. Our relationship together, our individual relationships with Jesus, and our relationship with Him as a couple. Additionally, we've been blessed by listening to the study of the Word every week. We have attended some with our daughter who goes, who's a part of your faith family, and listened to the others online. We are looking forward to continuing with you in 2011. Can't wait to study Acts in depth please use this love offering as the Lord leads you. And they included a check for $1,000 to our church. So just a picture, a small, really small picture in the big scheme of things of how, of how your faith is encouraging brothers and sisters in, in many different contexts. And so, so this morning, what I want to, what I want to do is, is I want us to come aside from our normal weekly diet of in-depth study and one particular text of Scripture and exhaustive outline to walk through and really dive in. And I want us to come aside and have kind of a, a heart-to-heart, so to speak. And we do this every once in a while, just coming aside from what, what we need to do every week and just just deep study of the Word to step back and say, do we, okay, do we, do we really believe what we're studying? I like, do We really believe this book to make sure we guard against the tendency, certainly, that is so prevalent in our culture, just to to play games and to go through monotonous routines. So to step back periodically and say, All right, are are we really willing to order our lives around this book? Are we really willing to order our church around this? this book, and, and there's some things God has been and has been doing in, in my heart recently, and over over a while. that I just want to, I want to share with you this morning, uh, pastorally. And I want us, to, I want us to start with this blank page. So pull out the blank page, okay? And I want you to think about this with me. I want you to imagine a totally blank slate. I want you to imagine us as a people called the Church of Brook Hills, about 4,000 strong. So, 4,000 people called the Church of Brook Hills. Imagine that, that there's nothing else attached. Imagine no building, no programs, nothing. Just 4,000 people called the Church of Brook Hills, which is what the church is a gathering of people. So, just us as a people. So four thousand people living in a world of, of sin and rebellion and suffering and, and pain. A world where where three billion people live on less than two dollars a day. One billion out of that group lives in absolute poverty. A billion in absolute poverty, many in, in slums, hundreds of millions of them dying right now of hunger because they don't have food and, and preventable disease. Like, <laughs> I was joking around with the potential of snow and ice coming, like, to see the stores, like, we've got to get some milk and bread. Like, we've probably got enough food stored up. <laughs> like, we'll be all right. But, but there's, there's a billion people who, who are not. Billions of people. Billions engrossed in false religions. Over a billion and a half who have never even heard the gospel. They don't even have access to the gospel. And all of those billions on a road that leads to an eternal hell. Suffering forever and ever and ever and ever. This book is true. Everlasting suffering for billions of people. But we know You and I know, all 4,000 of us know that Jesus has come. He has come to die on the cross for our sins. He's come to save us from our sins. He's risen from the grave. He's given us hope. Like We don't have to fear anything in this world. We know that when we die, we're going to be with Him. We saw this last week in Revelation. Like We're going to be with Him forever. Like 50 trillion years from now, we're going to be with Him and enjoy His, his glory and His beauty forever and ever, and ever and ever and ever. The Spirit of God has opened our eyes and our hearts to see Christ and to believe in Christ. What grace, what mercy. We've been saved from sin and we've been saved from ourselves and we've been saved from hell. Saved to to walk with God and to to enjoy Christ and to have the hope of eternity in heaven. So so here we are, 4,000 of us. The Spirit of God has not just saved us, opened our eyes. He's filled us. The Spirit of God in every single one of us who is trusted in Christ. The very Spirit of God dwelling in us, in each of us. And and we as a people... 4,000 strong. We have been charged to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. That's why we haven't just been taken up immediately. Like he has left us here for a reason. And that reason is to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. So. So. So here's the question. If if we had a blank slate, 4,000 people with, with the Spirit of God in us in a world of massive need and we have the gospel charged to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we had a blank slate, just us as a people, What would we do to carry out this charge? Where would we start? If there was nothing on the table, what would we do? Would we pull together our resources and spend 20 million dollars on a building? Would we try to find a way for us to get together so we can all hear one, maybe two teachers out of the whole 4,000 and organize it so we can get the best music and get a staff to organize programs that will cater to us and our kids and our families? Would we spend our energy and time and resources on creating a situation that is most comfortable for us, most entertaining to us, and most pleasing to us? Would, would this be our strategy? I don't think it would be. Not if we realized what's going on in the world around us and not if we believe the word that's in front of us. I don't think we'd say if all we had was the word in front of us and the world around us and thinking how are we going to get this gospel to this world, I don't think we'd say let's spend millions on a building. We'd say this book never one time commands us as the church to build a building. And not once. This book says there's, there's better things to spend your money on. And we don't have to build a house of worship according to this book. According to this book, like, we are the house of worship. And, and I don't think we'd say let's find a way for, for as many of us to get together. The reality is we want to we get out there. Right? Like we've been charged to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, then we gotta scatter. We gotta go. Like not them come to us. They're not coming up. The runo, not coming to us. And, and most lost people in Birmingham not coming to us. We gotta we gotta go to them. We gotta scatter. Get where they are. We don't have to. Here's the cool thing. We don't have to hire a staff to do it. Like, we've all got the Spirit of God in us. Huh. That's good. Like, 4,000 people with the supernatural Spirit of God in them. That's some power. And so, so let's scatter. Now, as we scatter, as we go to our neighborhoods, I mean, there's people in our neighborhoods, and People where we work and people around us in this city, in communities like East Laker Gate City that we 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 don't often go to. We gotta scatter to them. Now, as we do, we're gonna need each other, right? Like we can't do this alone. So we're gonna need each other in in even greater ways, and even we need each other if we're all coming together, organized around ourselves. Like we if we're going together after this world with the gospel, we're really gonna need each other. And so. So we need to gather together. Now, we don't have to all gather together in one place, right? Like, there's places we can gather together. We got houses. We got big houses. And we got, we got offices. And we got places where we can get together. And we can encourage one another. we can share life together, which we've got to do. Like, we've we got we to care for each other's kids and support each other's marriages and And maximize each other's singleness, if that's the case. Or to care for widows. We don't have to get together just to listen to one teacher. I mean, among 4,000 people, there's a ton of teachers here. And the reality is, as long as it's the Word, that's what we need, right? We don't need a certain teacher. We need the Word. If God's gifted somebody to teach... Doesn't have to be in front of a couple thousand people, like it could be with twenty people. Ten. Just teach we want the word. We want to equip one another to go into the world. I think I think that's more the way we would think if we had a blank slate. And in that, I want to give you a picture of the book of Acts. You read through the book of Acts. We will read through the book of Acts over the next 11 weeks. And we're not going to see, we're not going to see a lot of the stuff that we associate with church in the book of Acts. We're going to see a much different picture. Now I want to be careful here because not everything in the book of Acts is prescriptive. In other words, not everything is intended to say you must do this things this exact way forever. We're going to talk about that as we go along, we study. And not everything in here is perfect in the book of Acts. Like It's not perfect, it's not easy. The Reality is we're going to, we're going to see people who are losing their lives. Getting beheaded. We're going to see a people at the end of Acts chapter 2 catch this a people that were smaller in number than the church at brook hills a little over 3000 people at the end of acts chapter 2 that in the chapters that follow we see going into communities and cities and scattering to nations Starting churches all over the world in a way that Acts chapter 17, verse 6, will say these people are turning the world upside down. And I'm just wondering if we have the same spirit in this room, if our numbers are even greater, then why can't we be a part of something like that? Why not? And this is, this is where I want to challenge us this morning, as a church, to, to give God a blank check. We talk about giving God a, a blank check with our lives. I've mentioned that numerous times before. To say to God in each of our lives, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, however you want me to live, I'll do it. To give God a blank. This is, this is what Jesus demands and deserves. A blank check with our lives. What I want to challenge us to do this morning, and of course in the days ahead, is to give, to give God a blank check with our church. To say to God, God, if, if you want us to sell the building, we'll do it. And God, if you want us to eliminate every single program we've got, we'll do it. God, if you want us to totally reorganize our community of faith, we'll do it. There's a blank check. No strings attached. And this morning, I want to I give you. Ten reasons why we must give him that kind of blank check. Now, you feel free if you want to, to mess up the blank check on your sheet here. And there's not going to be anything on the screen. But I, and we're going, to, we're going to walk through most of these really quickly. But, but I want to show you, especially in Acts chapter 1 and 2, ten reasons why, why we must give God... A blank check as a church. So, start with number one. You turn to Acts chapter one with me. First reason why we must give God a blank check. Because, because Jesus is worthy of absolute surrender. That's the first reason. Because Jesus is worthy of absolute surrender. Now, Acts chapter 1 verse, verse 1 says, In the first book, pause. What's the first book? The book of Luke. There's another book that Luke wrote. It's called the book of well, this is Acts. The other book that he wrote was called Luke. Good, good, good. I'm glad we got that. You got Luke and Acts, kind of a two part series. And this is the sequel to the book of Luke. And so, I want to remind you from the very beginning of what foundation has been laid in the book of Luke. And the foundation that has been laid is the portrait of a Savior, Lord, and King who is worthy of absolute surrender. You remember? In fact, turn back there with me. Luke chapter 9. So you've got to pass over one book, John, and you'll get to Luke. Luke chapter 9. Let me just encourage you to underline a couple of verses in the book of, of Luke. Remind us. Remind us. What it means to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. So this is the Savior that all 4,000 of us follow. The Savior who said, Luke 9, 23, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross instrument of torture and execution daily, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You've got to lose your life. Christian, you have lost your life. Dead to yourself. You get to the end of this chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. This is what I was preaching on last week in Atlanta. Luke 9, 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says, you say you'll oh, follow me, you you're going to realize you're not even guaranteed the basic necessity of shelter. You follow me, I'm all you've got. We've come up with very strange strategies for worshiping a Savior who didn't even have a roof over his head. The next man, he said, follow me, and He said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. More important than you going to your dad's funeral is the proclamation of my kingdom. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, don't even go back to mom and dad and say goodbye. Go. This is absolute surrender. You get to next chapter, chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus is sending out 72 followers of his. And he says in chapter 10, verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Not good news. If you are a lamb surrounded by wolves, you're not in a good position. You're in a dangerous position. This is not a call to comfort. This is a call to sacrifice. Keep going in, in Luke to chapter, chapter 12, verse 22. Oh, I love this. You can only imagine the disciples hearing words like this. We hear words like this and we think, ah, what does this mean? Like, I mean, Absolute surrender and sacrifice. And start to worry. What does that mean? And so, listen to what Jesus says. He said to his disciples, Luke twelve twenty two, "I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens; they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds?" Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Do you hear what he's saying there? This is what I mean by Jesus is worthy of absolute surrender because you can let go of everything. You can let go of everything in your life and you can trust. He is good. And even when it seems crazy to the world around you, we can trust Him. When He says to do something, we can trust Him. He's worthy of that kind of surrender. You keep going to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse verse 25. and Remember these words? Great crowds accompanied Jesus, and He turned and said to them, Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's bold. We're supposed to love him in a way that makes our closest relationships in this world look like hate in comparison? Whoever And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Do you, do you, not hear, do you hear what he's saying here? Jesus is saying, don't, don't come to me casually. Like surely, more than praying a prayer is involved in this thing. Like This is your life. Surrendered to Jesus. He says in verse 33, any of you who does not renounce, All that he has. Some of your translations say, give up everything that he has. Cannot be my disciple. You get to, to one more place. Luke chapter 18. Remember this one? Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A ruler asked Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now this passage does not mean that everyone who follows after Jesus must sell everything they have and give to the poor. But it does mean that Jesus could tell any one of us who follows after him to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. Not one of our possessions is our own. They all belong to Jesus and and we have renounced, we have given up everything to him, for him to use. So, so this is the picture of Jesus in the book of Luke. So when we get to Acts chapter 1, we remember, these guys, when all the crowds left, those who are still here are the ones who said, yes, yes, he is worthy of absolute surrender. You look at these disciples here, the beginning, Judas is obviously not there anymore. You've got 11. Ten of them would die martyrs' deaths. The one who wouldn't would die in exile because he had been put there because of his proclamation of the gospel. It cost every single one of these guys their lives. And and I think about JD and JJ. I do want us, I don't, I don't want to over dramatize by any means, but I do want us to realize the gravity of where this couple is going to. One of the most dangerous people groups in the world. And I, I couldn't help but think as, as we were preparing to send them out of the letter that Adoniram Judson wrote to his prospective father-in-law he wanted to marry Anne and he wanted to take her with him overseas to a, to a people group to share the gospel with the heathen the way they would refer to it and so he wrote this letter So he's, he's asking for permission to marry Anne listen to what he writes I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathens who have been saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Like dads, what if you received that letter about your daughter? He said yes, and they went. And Anne, and died on on the field. So I look at, at this couple, and I see a couple that's that's willing to, I see a couple that's willing to give, give up their lives. If they are willing to give up their lives, then surely we would be willing to give up a building. If they are willing to give their lives, then surely we would be willing to give up a program. Or a comfort. Like this is this is the inevitable result of a people who follow Jesus. Our lives are surrendered to him. Therefore, when we come together, we hold on to nothing tightly. Everything is his. Blank check. There's no other option for us if we're a community following after this Jesus. So, reason number one. We're not going to get through. Ten? All right. Reason number one. (laughs) Jesus is worthy of absolute surrender. Two, because Jesus is working to advance his kingdom. Because Jesus is working to advance his kingdom. Okay? Go back up to chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Pause. Okay, see, we're only in verse 1. But listen to what Luke just said. He said, in my first book, Luke, the book of Luke, the story, the life of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection... He said, I told you all that Jesus began to do and teach. If he just began, that would seem to imply that there's more to come, right? He started in Luke. Now Acts is the continuation. What he started to do now, now the problem is when you get to chapter 11, Jesus is gone. Or chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is gone. Eleven short verses into the book. Jesus is gone. He ascends into heaven. But here's the beauty. All throughout this book, Luke is intentional to show us that Jesus is in heaven for a purpose. He is in heaven for the advancement of his kingdom on earth. And what you see is Jesus doing all kinds of things all throughout this book, like specifically Jesus. You look at chapter 1 here, look at verse 24, and they were praying about who should replace Judas, and they, they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. To take the place in this ministry and apostleship from, Judas, from, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You, Lord, know the hearts of all. You show us. So this is, Jesus, you show us who to, who to replace Judas with. You go to chapter 2, verse 32. Chapter 2, verse 32. Listen to this. This Jesus, chapter, 32, two, chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up. And of all that, we are witnesses. Now listen to verse 33. Being therefore exalted the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Who poured out the Spirit in Acts chapter 2? Jesus did. It's Jesus who did that. And you get down to verse 36, and, and it says, Peter's preaching, he says, God has made Him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's the Lord. And so when you see Lord mentioned throughout this book, who is that a reference to? Look down in verse 47, chapter 2. They're praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Who's adding to their number who's being saved? Jesus is. He sent the Spirit. He's advancing the kingdom. You get to chapter 9. Go to chapter 9 real quick. Chapter 9 verse 3 you got Saul who's persecuting Christians walking on a road and it says now as he went on his way chapter 9 verse 3 he appeared he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground he heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and he said who are you lord and he said i am jesus whom you are persecuting that is a deafening moment Jesus says, You. And I love this. All right, I don't need to preach chapter 9. We'll get there. So, this is Jesus confronting Saul on this road. You get down to chapter 9, verse 10. It says, There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, the house of Judas. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. This is Jesus telling Ananias to go. Then you get over to the same chapter, chapter 9, verse 32. Listen to this. This is the story of Aeneas. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed And immediately he rose And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him And they turned to the Lord Now we, we can keep going we don't, we don't have time i got others But we'll, we'll get to them The picture is All throughout this book Jesus is advancing his kingdom All the way to the very end Chapter 28 verse 30 and 31 Where it says Paul was there in Rome In the center of the ends of the earth Proclaiming the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus is doing all of this. He is all throughout the book of Acts advancing a kingdom. And he's doing the same thing today. Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father. He has still poured out his Spirit on those who trust in him. And Jesus is advancing his kingdom in Birmingham. And Jesus is advancing his kingdom to the Erundo. Jesus is orchestrating the whole thing. He's doing it all. So I say we join him. And we join him not with strings attached. Here's how we will join you. We join him and say, how do you want us to join you? And whatever you say, we'll do it. You know better how to advance this kingdom than we do. So we're going to trust in you. We're going to fall on our faces. We're going to pray to you. And we're going to be in your word. And we're going to ask you to do this among us. Number three. Number three. We've got to give blank check with the church because Jesus is clothed. Every single one of us with his power. Jesus has clothed every single one of us with his power. You get down to verse 8. You know, you know this verse. It's our memory verse this week that we're going to be memorizing together. And I'll talk about that later. But Verse 8 says, Jesus says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, Jesus had told his disciples at the very end of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's a great word, literally clothed, to, be, to have, have a garment put on you. And this is what's happening. He's saying you're going to receive power. And when you get to chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. These guys start speaking in all kinds of different languages with boldness that they never had before and with power that had never been seen before. They proclaim the gospel. 3,000 people are saved because of the power of the Spirit. And it's astonishing everybody. At first, everybody thinks they're drunk because they're speaking all these weird languages. Then you get to chapter 4, verse 13, and you see a phrase, a verse that says, people were astonished and they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men and they took note. These guys had been with Jesus. We are a church full of of ordinary people. This is the danger of even the way we've designed this whole thing to put one person or a few people in front of everybody else is It's the ones who are gifted to do this or that. No. Like we have all been gifted with the supernatural spirit of God. You, believer in Christ, you have the spirit of God in you. God and all of his fullness, all of his power in you. 4,000 of us doing with that. Why would we want to hold back in any way? No. Blank check. He's clothed us all with his his spirit. And fourth. We're moving on. Fourth. Because Jesus has given every single one of us the same purpose. Because Jesus has given every single one of us the same purpose. He's clothed every single one of us with his power. And his given every single one of us the the same purpose. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. And oh, this is probably where I'm most convicted. Like with this whole system that we designed to to say how are we going to lead people to Christ? Well, let's get a big place and have music and have somebody who's, who's gifted to speak and, and they'll do this. That's how we're going to lead people to Christ. The only problem is if that's how the gospel is going to spread to the ends of the earth, we're going to have to replicate this all over the world. But the beauty is we don't, we don't have to do that. Like I'm not the only preacher in this room. You're all preachers. Now, that doesn't mean you have to come up with a 55 minute deal every week. But it does mean that you are on this earth, Christian, for one purpose. Preach this gospel. And we get trapped. We get trapped in this mentality this is what a couple of people do, and we come and we listen and we grow and struggle and this or that. No, like, we're all preachers of the gospel. And if we come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and we don't all leave here preaching, we're missing the point. We're wasting the gospel, we're wasting our lives. We're all preachers, proclaimers of the gospel. And God has put you in places I'll never go among people that I'll never be in. And same thing in my life. And the beauty is he has got this thing rigged. He's got 4,000 of us. Not not like we're the only Christians in Birmingham or the world, but he's got 4,000 of us. And he's designed every single one of our lives to preach the gospel wherever we go. He's, he's given us all the same same purpose. So give him a blank check. Number five, because the world is our goal. We give him a blank check because the world is our goal. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That was the goal. The Spirit wants the world for Christ. He wanted the world for Christ then. He wants the world for Christ now. I've got to share this really quick. A few years ago, so I, I, I've had the privilege of pastoring here four and a half years ago. Not, not too far into that. I, I, was, I was being, I was, I was reading all this stuff about how to, about church growth and this or that because I hadn't pastored before. Didn't know what in the world I was doing. Still don't. And, and, I, and, I, and I read stuff about, well, you need to pick your target audience in your community. Like who is your church gonna reach? Like, Brook Hills, Bob. And that's who you're going to go after. And maybe it's a, it's a, Somebody, some kind of business, middle class, upper middle class businessman or businesswoman. With the income and family. So okay, how are we going to how are we going to reach that person? And what we said was, I am reading that, I'm like, no. So. So we talked about, I don't know if you remember this. Probably don't. We talked about, okay, we're not going to go after Brook Hills Bob. Not that Bob isn't important. Bob's really important. We want Bob to come to know Christ. No question. We're going to work for Bob to come to know Christ. But we're going to work beyond Bob for Brook Hills Baruti. That's what we said. Looking back at my notes, Baruti. And what we talked about was Baruti is, is a man in in Africa, and Baruti lives in total poverty, Baruti lives among a people group that has never heard the gospel and likes it that way, Baruti lives among a people group, we talked about this, we said Baruti lives among a people group that is hostile to anyone who tries to bring the gospel to them, Baruti knows somebody in his, his, his tribe, when they converted to faith in Christ, they were killed by their parents. And we said, we said we're going we're gonna to reach Broody. And it's not to the exclusion of Bob. So we're going to reach people right around us here. But if, if we just focus on people right around us here, we'll disobey what Christ has commanded us to do, get the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to, we want to lead Bob to Christ. We want him to come to Christ. And then when he does, we want to say, hey, your life is intended to get the gospel to others, Bob. Your life and your resources and your family. How can we get the gospel to those who've never heard it? We're going to focus on getting to Broody. And once we get to Broody, we're going to go to the next people group that hadn't heard until the word unreached is no longer in the vocabulary. So so here's the deal. So a couple years ago, a few years ago, I won't use names, but, but someone who fits the profile of Bob in our faith family. Well, he wasn't in our faith family. Somebody reached... It's the profile of Bob. Came to know Christ through the ministry of this church. He was saved, and he and his wife began a small group and began leading the couples in this small group. One of the couples that was in their small group was JD and JJ. Brook Hills, Bob has been reached for the sake of Brookhills, Baruti. Like, that's our goal. The world is always our goal. When we have the spirit of God in us. Because the spirit wants the world for Christ. That's why we got to give them blank check. Because the world's our goal. Because the word is our guarantee. Number six. The word's our guarantee. All right. All right. We're just going to fly through these last ones. The word's our guarantee. You look throughout the book of Acts. What you will see is over and over it says the scripture was fulfilled. It said this. The scripture was fulfilled. It said this. Even Jesus dying on the cross. That's to fulfill what scripture was said. You see it in verse uh, 16 here in chapter one. And the beauty is scripture the word is our guarantee this word has promised that this gospel is going to go to every people group on the planet so we're guaranteed success that's why we give them a blank check because we don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to you know you don't have to worry about whether or not putting putting resources in this stock is going to work out in the end it's going to work out in the end i put all all your money there but all your resources there because this mission is guaranteed to succeed. That's number six, because the word is our guarantee. Number seven, because the spirit is here. The spirit is here. Acts chapter two, you read through verse one through thirteen and you see the spirit come. The whole picture there at Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes. There's so much. There's so much tendency in our day to say, oh, we, just, we want, want the Spirit to come and do this or that. The beauty is the Spirit has come. The Spirit's here. The Spirit is in our midst. The Spirit of God is in our midst now. We don't have to wait. They needed to wait, chapter 1. Chapter 2, Spirit came. The rest of the time, no waiting, running. So, so we don't have to wait for the Spirit. Spirit's here. Well, let's give him a blank check. He's here. He's here. Spirit is here. Next, the stakes, because the stakes are high. That's why we've got to, to give God a blank check with our church, because the stakes are high. You get to the end of chapter 2, verse 37. They heard what Peter said. They were cut to the heart. They said, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. It says, verse 40, with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Just feel the passion in Peter here, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Brothers and sisters, the stakes are high. What we're talking about this morning is so much bigger than who wins a game tomorrow, right? Like this is lives for all of eternity. Going to everlasting joy joy. In heaven or everlasting suffering in hell. Do we realize that's what's at stake? That the people around us in Birmingham, if they don't come to Christ, will burn in hell forever. And those people in the Arunda who every day are dying without access to the gospel, and heard. See what I mean? Like, do we really believe this? Because if we really believe this is what's at stake, then comfortable 280 church culture just doesn't make sense. Not, not if we really believe these stakes are this high. Number nine, reason number nine is because the glory of Christ leaves us no other option. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse verse 36. Oh, he is the risen Savior, and he is the exalted Lord. Jesus is the Lord, and, and And we want his glory more than we want our comforts. We want his glory more than we want to do things the way they've been done before. We want his glory more than we want our traditions. We want his glory more than we want our preferences. We want his glory in all nations. That's why we give a blank check, because we're consumed with a passion for his glory in Birmingham and consumed with a passion for his glory in the United States and consumed with a passion for his glory in all nations. A blank check just makes sense. The glory of Christ leaves us no other option. And number 10, because the coming of Christ leaves us. The coming of Christ leaves us with eager anticipation. The coming of Christ leaves us with eager anticipation. This Jesus whom you've seen raised up in heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, is coming back. He's coming back, guys. Like he could come back today or tomorrow or next year. 2011 could be the year. And we know, Matthew 24, 14, he's going to come back when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all the nations. So he's coming back at the fulfillment of the Great Commission. have talked about this before. So, like, do you think, do you think we could, do you think we could see the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our day? We have the resources. Most importantly, the Spirit of God, could we actually see the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our day? Brothers and sisters, I say we die trying. That's why. That's why I'm giving a blank check. Now, I want to be clear here. There's not a for sale sign that I've planned to go up outside this building right now there's not plans like under behind the surface plans to do this or that there's nothing there's nothing specific even this, this is us as a faith family saying are we willing to put a blank check on the table and, and then see what God does